I'm in the middle of a sermon series titled Beside Still Waters, and this will be the last week of what I would call putting together all the pieces that are going to lead to the conclusion. Uh, the whole sermon series is about our hearts being ruled by peace. It's about learning at all times and in all situations. And in the next couple of weeks, we will take some time to begin uh, weaving together everything we've learned so far and see how these things should lead to a heart that's ruled by peace. This week, I want to take some time to focus in on one aspect of God, and that is grace. Remember in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, the Word of God tells us that He will keep us in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon the Lord and whose heart, or because His heart, trusts in Him. So to trust in God seems like an easy thing to say, but it's a harder thing to do. And I will submit to you that to properly trust in God, we need to understand what we are trusting in. In other words, the fact as we studied last week, we can trust that God is a God of mercy in the times that we need mercy. This morning, we're going to take a look specifically at the grace of God. Now, I'm going to share with you four reasons that you need to trust in God's grace Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Well, first of all, who was Paul before Christ? He said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. And he didn't just persecute the church. Man, he was awful. Paul was literally there uh, standing by and in a way overseeing and giving consent to the death of the first martyr, Stephen. You'll find it in Acts chapter 7. Saul was his name at the time. He even gets a name change. His life changes so much. Saul was who he was known as. And and he's there just watching a man be uh, senselessly murdered simply for his faith in Christ. Saul was so wicked that he didn't stop there. He continued his crusade to to, uh, to stamp out Christianity. Uh, He was uh, hard on everybody, men, women, and children, and was on his way, literally on his way, to go imprison Christians and put them in prison for their faith. He was a man that had a lot of power and influence with the government of his day. He, He walked with a sense of legal power. He had the legal ability to run into multitudes of towns find out who the Christians were, demand that the authorities who had the power to do so arrest them and throw them in prison. This was Saul. And he's on his way to do this very thing, and God shows up, Jesus shows up, and almost literally knocks Saul off of his horse, blinds him. Saul says to this great being in front of him, He uses the word Lord, but it's not like Lord Jesus. It's just like Lord with a lot of power, Lord. He's like, Lord, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. That's who I am. And in Joplin's 2020 English, Jesus said, Saul, it's time to stop going the direction you're going, and you're going to change entirely. And by the way, you're still going to go right where you're going. You're just not going to do what you thought you were going to do. Instead of going to persecute the church, you're going to go to build the church up. Instead of going to stop the kingdom of God, you're going to go to build the kingdom of God. And Saul was blinded. Jesus told him, 
You're going to be led into this city and a brother there, uh, one of your brothers, Christian brothers now, that you're part of the family of God, uh, he'll know what to do. Just go find him. God appears to this brother and tells this brother, Saul's coming, you need to pray for him. The brother says, Saul, what are you talking about? This is the one who came to kill us all. And God said, I have chosen him. Now, this is who we're talking about when Paul said these words, I am what I am by the grace of God. Grace, we need to understand what that word is. In its simplest form, it means to do good for somebody that does not deserve it. It's not like it's an earned paycheck. You put in 40 hours at the end of a week, you expect to get a paycheck from your boss. Your boss isn't being gracious because he chose to pay you. You earned it. Grace says, you don't deserve this. There's no reason that we can look at to say, oh, you are such a good person. You deserve this. Grace says you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. This is the aspect of God that we're going to study this morning. And we see it clear in the Apostle Paul's life. Here's a guy that's on his way to kill Christians at worst and at best, take them and put them in prison the rest of their life simply for their faith. God shows up to him. He didn't have a heart that had changed. There's no indication that Saul was riding down the road thinking, you know what, this is wrong. I should repent and turn to Jesus. And then all of a sudden God said, hey, I want to use you. God appeared to him in his wickedness, on his wicked journey, knocks him off of his horse, radically changes his life, and says, I've got a call on your life. That is grace. And Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm the least of the apostles, so when it really comes down to it, one of the things grace does is not only does it empower us to to do the will of God, it keeps us humble because... It's not us. It's all God. That was Paul's point. Paul says, look, I've made a lot of difference in the kingdom of God, but it's all because of the grace of God. Don't you forget where I came from. I am what I am by the grace of God. It was just his choice and his love and his goodness and his grace. And like, I am nothing without him. So all that I've done, I really don't deserve credit for. It's the grace of God that has done it for me and through me. It's the grace of God. From start to finish, grace has the power to change us. Grace has the power to change us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved. Let's just stop there. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to unpack Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 as we talk about God's power to change us through His grace. First of all, it's what saves us. It's what saved Paul. It's what saved me. If you're saved here this morning, it was the grace of God. It's not works. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. It is God's sheer grace that saves us and has the 
power to save us. There may be somebody here this morning that you feel like uh, God can't save you. I've recently been working with uh, a person that has just had a really traumatic uh, history, traumatic life, really from childhood all the way up to um, where they are today. And uh, when I very first started meeting with this person, the, the, the whole concept was they wanted to know if they could be saved. And the feeling was, it's just that God couldn't save somebody like me. Like, you don't know what I've done. I'm a terrible person. I have done this. I have done this. I have done this. It's not possible that God would take somebody like me and allow someone like me to be part of his family. And we have spent literally months now trying to unpack. There are none of us that are worthy to be part of God's family. And God's grace is sufficient for you. There is nothing you have done there. If the Apostle Paul, who was called Saul, could stand and give consent and hold the coats of these folks while they're murdering an innocent believer, if this man, the Apostle Paul, could be saved, trust me, brother or sister, you can be saved too. We've got to trust in the power of God's grace. And now here's why you've got to trust in the power of God's grace. Because no matter how good you get it, and you need to get it right, you need to live right, you need to live holy, God's called us to holiness, you need to repent of your sins. But no matter how good you do it, you will never do it good enough to convince yourself and to truly feel like, well, I'm good with God. I got so much study in. I got so much prayer in. I've never failed anymore. I don't sin anymore. I don't have bad thoughts anymore. Now, you're going to have to learn to trust in the grace of God. I'll tell you, as a young preacher, it was hard for me to learn to trust in the grace of God, but it was one of the healthiest things I ever learned to do. I always felt like if God was going to use me, I had to absolutely have my mind straight, my heart right. I had to think right. I had to love everybody perfectly. And if I didn't, there's no way God could use me. I remember being at work one day and just having some really bad thoughts about a guy. You might be surprised to know I had these thoughts. Had. I don't think of them anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But I remember, it was, just, it was. you might even think this is kind of silly, but I just thought, man, you're an idiot, dude. How do you even have a job at this place? How do you even function as an adult living like an absolute moron? Yeah, I thought that. It's hard, it's embarrassing to say that. I didn't say it. I held it in. I'm just telling you it's what I thought. I was at the, my wits end that day. It was like a Thursday or Friday, and I was scheduled to preach Sunday, and I'll never forget all of a sudden this greatest condemnation came upon me, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't preach. I'm a terrible person. And I'm conflicted. Like, do I need to call my pastor and ask him to have somebody else preach Sunday because there's no way I could fast for the next two days and do all this stuff to try to somehow get right with God, but God couldn't use me three days from now after I just thought that awful thought. This, is, this was my life for years. I'm not justifying my thoughts. We need to take our thoughts captive. And I let that thought run a little longer than it needed to. But here's what I'm trying to tell you something this morning, brothers and sisters. We all need grace. And I had to learn that God doesn't use me because I'm such a great person that He's pleased to use. That even in my best, I still need His grace to do His work. And just like the Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. 
And it has been helpful beyond words at times to have no option but to throw myself on the grace of God. It's humbling. There's actually a sense of pride that rises up when we think that, well, we're finally in a place where God should use us. I'm a very spiritual person this week. I have thought no bad thoughts. Read like I was supposed to. Fasted like I should. God's power will flow for sure. God doesn't use that. What's funny is, or sad, depending on how you look at it, I preached in that. I've preached that way before and God still used me. You want to know why? Grace. That's why. That's why God did. Grace. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we need to trust in the grace of God. It has the power to save us. Notice in that Ephesians 2, chapter 8, verse 10 text that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God's grace is not just needed to save us. It is part of the process He uses to make us usable as Christians. He created us. He molds us. He makes us into His workmanship. God's grace has the power to change you and make you usable. I really believe that grace is a word also like love. A whole other sermon, another day, another time. But grace is a word. We've lost sight of what it really means. It is this weak word in modern-day Christianity that means God just allows you to live however you want to live and everything's going to be okay. That's just not true. God's grace is powerful enough to change your life. It is power. Think about that word, power. God's grace is power. Many of you have heard me say this, and I'm not the one that said it. I think Charles Spurgeon was the first to ever make this statement. But a grace that isn't powerful enough to change you is certainly not powerful enough to save you either. You think God's grace is so powerful it can save your soul from a devil's hell, and yet it's not powerful enough to make you quit drinking? What kind of grace do you believe in? You think God's grace is so powerful that it could forgive you of your sins and wash you white as snow and bring you into heaven, but not powerful enough to quit your mouth from cussing? What kind of grace do you believe in? It's not a biblical grace. God's grace has the power to change us. You know, I remember uh, as a, a drug addict, criminal, drug dealer... Me and my friends would be up late at night, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, can't go to sleep. And um, in those moments, the night's been, you know, far spent. And we're just sitting around uh, reminiscing about our lives. And as we began to be 19, 20 years old, we'd say things like this. We need to grow up. How long are we going to do this? We'd all go to our rooms and go to bed thinking things like this. I don't want to live this way the rest of my life. This is stupid. This ain't fun anymore. I'm going to change. And we would mean it. I was sick of my life. I did want to change every day. But I just didn't have the power. It's like I had the desire, but I didn't have the power constant circle of coming, what I would feel like to the end of myself, thinking, I don't want to live this anyway anymore. I need to change, and I'm going to change. And I'd wake up and have no power to change. 
And then in January of 2000, when I came face to face with God, if you will, and God revealed himself to me in a church service and I turned my heart to God, all of the sudden it was like the power that I had never found anywhere else came to me and I had the power to change what I was never able to change on my own. Because grace gives us the power to change. Changes our minds, changes our hearts. This is the truth about God's grace. I would encourage those of you that think you, know, you want a real change in your life, but you're hesitant because you think, well, this, I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want to live this way. I don't want to go to church every week. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want this. I don't want that. You're trying to determine what life will look like based upon your powerless life right now. You have no idea how things will be when the grace of God enters your life and gives you the power to become who He created you to be. You'll think differently, you'll feel differently, you'll have different desires, and it's like this power is there to change us. Now, I want to encourage you this morning, whatever it is in your life that needs changed, whatever it is that God's still working on, I want to encourage you not to grow discouraged, not to look at what still needs to happen and feel like, wow, there's so much work that needs to happen in my life, but instead to look at it this way. Yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to happen in my life, but I trust that God's grace is sufficient for me and that He has the power to change me simply because He is a God of grace. God's grace has the power to change you. You need to know that this morning. You were created for good works. God does not make junk. God doesn't make second-rate stuff. Do you feel second-rate this morning? Third-rate, fourth-rate? You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, and our God does not create junk. He does all things well. That's what the Bible says. This morning, God... His grace is power for you. Number two, not only does His grace have the power to change us, His grace has the power to sustain us. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons your hearts need to trust this morning in God's grace is because His grace will finish what it started. Grace not only starts the work, but it finishes it. How often do we make it harder on us to receive God's love after salvation? It's kind of a silly thing, but that's, I mean, I felt that way for years. Like, I know God loves a sinner. God wants to save you. God wants to save you. I know you're evil and you're wicked, but God loves you. He died for you, and, and He just wants to lavish His love on you. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. Well, no problem with that. Then all of a sudden, it was like after I was saved, I felt like, man, I had to walk on tax to keep God happy. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. God did love us while we were yet enemies, but make no mistake about it, once you become His and you become a child of God, there is a deeper love that God has for His own children. There is a deeper love we have for our own children. I might love your kids. I just don't love them as much as I love mine. And you would say the same. You and I were created in the image of God. God loves you. 
And you need to know that His grace that had the power to save you and change you, it has the power to see you through. Man, this was such an important lesson in my life. I really lived the first four or five years of my Christian life with no understanding of grace. And in a lot of ways, it was a very miserable period of my Christian journey because I was just always afraid I was going to blow it and that God was going to bring down the hammer and destroy me. I was always afraid that somehow, some way, I would not be able to finish the course. And this one verse in my life has actually, if, if people have life verses, I'm not a big fan of life verses, but if, if I were to have one, this happens to be the one verse in Joplin Emerson's life that God has used over and over and over again to comfort me more than any other verse, and that is God's going to finish what he started. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming what I do. I'm just going to kind of talk to you as, as a friend here instead of a pastor. I'm not teaching you here. I'm just opening up. It's overwhelming what I do. It's actually scary. It bothers me, if you want to know the truth, that most of you that are listening this morning will actually make decisions on how you live your life based upon what I say. That is heavy. So I better get it right. It's not an easy burden to bear. I thank God for the opportunity to be involved in so many people's lives, but from time to time, it's like it, it's heavy and the need is so great. And I recognize that what we're doing is so real and so needed that sometimes I, I used to a whole lot more than I do now, but I used to fear all the time, God, somehow I'm not going to be able to finish it. Like, I see what you've called me to do, but I don't think I can, God. What if I fail here? What if I can't keep this up? What if I grow weak? What if I somehow fall one day and then all these people I've helped in the past think that I was a fake or a fraud? Like, what if? What if I fail? What if I fail? And it's heavy. And I lived under this immense pressure. But like, all this is on me. And I'm telling you, this verse... It's so simple. It changed my life. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And I'm reminded, I'm not the one started that started this work. I'm reminded where I was when God actually started working on my heart. I was a miserable failure of a human being. I'm reminded of what my life looked like when I gave it my all. It was a mess. And then it was like God just miraculously intervened in my life. That's exactly what God did. And He changed me totally, set me on a new course, gave me the power to change. And this verse reminds me that the same God that started that work, He's going to finish it. Joplin, you don't have to stress out about it. Serve Him out of love. Serve Him because He's good. Be faithful to Him because He's God. But you've got to get that monkey off your back that somehow, way, His grace isn't sufficient to see you through. He's going to finish what He started. And it helps this pastor that stands before you have peace in my heart. When I know that I'm a man and I know that I'm a human and I know that I've got weaknesses and I know that it is possible for me to sin, I know that it is possible for me to fail, I know it is possible for me to fall, it helps this preacher's heart to know that God's grace is sufficient to finish what he started in me. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Look what Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus. You've heard me say this a few times before. You've got to quit looking inward. You want to have peace? 
You've got to stop it. You want to have peace? Quit trying to find perfection in. You've got to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. For who the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's some comforting words there in Hebrews 12 too. First of all, He is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That means He's victorious. He's the conquering King. And this guy, the victorious, conquering King, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, this one, He's the author and finisher of my faith. That gives me assurance that He is going to sustain me through. Brothers and sisters, the pressure is not on us. You've got to rest and relax. Because while God calls us to follow Him, His grace empowers us to do it. This is why Jesus could say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? When you put a yoke on, on an oxen, it's got a job to do. Right? We were created for good works. But the irony is, is that on one hand, well, God's called us to good works and there's a job ahead. There's a job ahead for Pastor Joplin. There's a job ahead for you. The irony is that God empowers us for the job. It's not like he calls, that's how I felt. It's like he called me to it, and then it's all on me. Figure it out on your own. No, God says, I'm going to call you to it, but I am going to empower you to do the work I've called you to. And it is in that empowering of God's grace, the ability of him to sustain us from start to finish, that our hearts need to trust that our God is going to see us through. It's only when we attempt to do the work of God without the grace of God that the burden becomes heavy. When you try to do the work based upon your abilities, your strength, your ability to get it right all the time, it is a really, really heavy burden. Corey Tinboom said it this way, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. Man, that is true. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. It's the awesome thing about God's grace. It's ultimately about knowing Him, being filled to the fullness of Him, being filled with the Holy Spirit to empower us to do His work. And it's like then the ministry just happens. It just happens. You know, I've been obviously doing what I do now for 20 years, and I have found that, that the extreme lion's share of ministry, it just happens when we're a place of loving God and walking with God and being filled with Him. It's not, it's not necessarily planned. It's not like we uh, put out, uh, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., I'm going to go to Walmart and witness to somebody there. It's just not how it works. And you'll find that if that's how you do it, right, you do it in your own strength, it's actually tedious, it's exhausting, it's kind of confusing, it doesn't work, nobody wants to listen. But when you're just filled with God and you just love Him and like you, you lavish your love on Him, you, you, he's, he's all you think about. You just love Him. It just flows out. It's like random stuff, unplanned. All of a sudden, you're in this really important, loving conversation with somebody who needs Jesus. It just flows. And in all of it, you know what I see? I see the grace of God. I see that God's the one that does it. I see that God's the one that does the work. I see that the... the, the uh, emphasis isn't on us. This is why Paul could say, I am what I am by the grace of God. The emphasis isn't on us. It's on God. Number three this morning. 
Third reason that you need to trust in the grace of God is because grace is on full display at the crucifixion of Christ. And I want to take some time to look at what I mean by that. Grace is on full display at the crucifixion of Christ. When we look at what happened at the cross, when we look at how grace was applied at the cross, it should give us every reason to have peace today that God is going to see us through. Now let me explain. Grace, it's giving something, right? It's giving something of value. It's giving something to help another that doesn't really deserve it. And at times, grace is doing something really hard. I think we need to understand that. Grace is not always as fluffy. Oh, here's a present. You need a new present. Sometimes grace has to do the hard thing. And there was never anything harder that was done than what happened at Calvary. Why did Jesus come and die on Calvary's cross? He said this in a simple statement, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That may be one of the most precise statements for why Jesus came. I came to seek and save that which was lost. And in order for this to happen, in order for God to be good to us, in order for God to be gracious to us and offer us salvation, transformation, the power to change, there had to be a cost that had to be paid. And when we look at the cost that was paid, it was painful. A lot of times when we think about God's grace, we think of it in this false light out of just, you know, maybe some billionaire philanthropist that's like, oh, here, you need a hundred bucks, here's a hundred bucks. You need a hundred bucks, here's a hundred bucks. When all of us know that doesn't cost the billionaire anything. That's not sacrificial to him. It's just like, here's some, here's some. It doesn't cost him anything. A lot of times we think of God's grace in that, right? He just, he gives you this, he gives you that, he gives you this. He's just a God that gives gifts, but it really doesn't cost him anything. It's a false view of grace. The grace that God gives us cost him more than anything any of us will ever experience. Why does this matter? Talk about trusting in the grace of God. I will ask it this way. What makes you think God would give up his son for you and then not extend grace to you now in your time of need? I mean, what he already gave is a million times more difficult to give than it would be to just give you some grace. Let me uh, maybe give a, a real-life example here. you have to make your own for you, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a real-life example for Joplin Emerson. I needed grace this morning. I needed grace that I didn't even really know I needed, which is always the case. This morning at 9 a.m., Gary was teaching out of the book of Isaiah, and I'd encourage you, if you're not part of our 9 a.m. services, I want to challenge you to consider joining us at 9 a.m. as we take an entirely different approach of Scripture. We dig into it, um, and, and we've been in Isaiah chapter 1 now for um, months. But it's not just Isaiah chapter 1. Honestly, we've been in Genesis, right? We've been in Romans. We've been in Isaiah chapter 1. And this morning, uh, something that really stuck out to me was this statement that was made about the Old Testament sacrifices that literally tons of blood had been spilled, like literally tons. And it made me think about the magnitude of sin 
and in the the uh, the message, the point was is that the people didn't really they weren't repentant of their sin. And here was the thought that came to my mind when you saw all that blood that was shed over and over and over again. It should have really given you an actual picture of how wicked your sin was, but they didn't get it. I was just sitting here thinking, neither do you, son. Neither do you. And it was like I had a new, uh, I don't know the right word for it. It was like God just dealt with me on how sometimes I minimize sin in my own life. And then I looked at the blood that was shed on the cross and it gave me a new perspective of my sin is serious. It is not meant to be toyed with and trivialized because maybe my sin doesn't seem as bad as someone else's. Quit looking at one another and look to the blood and look to Jesus and you will see the cost that was paid for your sin. And I felt the need to literally get on my knees and ask God for grace today for the way I have at times trivialized little sins in my life. 20 years doing what I'm doing, I took this, it's ironic the message was on this this morning. Talk about ironic, huh? Because I'll tell you what, even though it ain't the way it works, had I wanted it to work that way, I didn't have the time to go spend a couple days fasting and seeking God and asking, you know, making things right and paying penance. And I didn't have time for that. I got to get up and preach the Word of God in 20 minutes, and all of a sudden I'm dealt with in a serious way about me trivializing sin in my life. And it's in those moments I've got to learn to trust the grace of God. Wouldn't it be foolish to think that when we look at the crucifixion of Christ and we see grace on full display and the extent that God was willing to go to be gracious to us, that God would do that? And in my moment when I need grace, he'd say, well, I'm not giving you that. No way. It's crazy. And I had to trust in that moment that the same grace that God has given me all these years, he's willing to extend to me now. And I'm just going to trust in that, God. You are good, and you're going to use me this morning based upon your grace because of your goodness. I'm running out of time here, but I want to say something not to be misunderstood. I'm probably not misunderstood, but I just want to say it anyways. I'm not talking about just, you know, thinking, well, hey, we can do whatever we want. God's grace is going to cover it. My heart was repentant. I was actually broken over it. My, my heart was like, this is wrong. There's some stuff that you need to get more serious about in your own life, Joplin. There's some things that just you just need to get a little more serious about, a little more concerned about, a little more uh, you know fighting and to 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 stay pure and to stay holy and to stay on task and pray more, read more, study more. To do less of the things that distract me from my sincere, honest relationship with God. And I was convicted over it. And so my conclusion wasn't, well, don't need to change any of this stuff. God, I need your grace this morning. My conclusion was, I need to repent of this stuff. However, however, even though I'm faced with it, and, I'm, and I am, I've got a repentant heart about it, and God, we're going to change some of these things. I'm going to trust this morning completely and fully on your grace. 
I'm going to throw myself upon your grace this morning and I'm going to get up there and I'm going to trust you that you are God and that you are God of grace and that you will extend it this morning and still work and do a work in this place even though Joplin has been getting a few things wrong lately. You can make your own analogy of your own life, but the point is that when we look at Calvary, when we see Christ crucified, grace is on its full display and grace is not weakness. Man, what Jesus did was the opposite of weakness. Grace is not sweeping stuff under the carpet and just pretending to be nice to everybody. That's not what grace is. Grace paid the cost so that Christ could show us grace. Finally, this morning, when we consider why we should trust in God's grace, I want you to think about this. Number four, God's grace gives the best that there is to give. God's grace gives the best that there is to give. Unlike the billionaire that just gives a hundred here and a hundred there, God gives the best. There's not anything more that he could give. It's not as if he's just God and he has a lot to give, so he gives you a little, you a little. Whatever God gives, his grace is always the best. And we see this again in Calvary. Consider for a moment the giving of both the Father and the Son. If you are a father and you have a son or a daughter, if you have any children, you know this. That would be the hardest thing to give. And so when we look at what God gave to us, God gave to us the hardest thing that He could possibly give. He gave what was most precious to Him above all, and that was the life of His Son. You look at Jesus, on the other hand, who had no family, had no wife, had no children. And what did he give? That which would be most significant to him, his own life. We see in both the Father and the Son, they gave to us, they gave to mankind the best that they had to give. This again gives our hearts peace when we recognize this is the grace of God. God does not give us leftovers. God doesn't give us just whatever he feels like he's got to give today. God's grace always gives the best that there is to give. There is nothing else that God, God Almighty, creator of the universe, there's nothing else he could have given more significant and precious than what he has already done. And he did that for us. God loves you. You need to know that this morning. He loves you. You need to know that God's grace has the power to change you. That's true this morning. If you're here and you're not right with God and you know it, you need to know God's grace has the power to change you. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, but you've been making excuses for sin in your life, your cussing tongue, your drinking problem, your drugging problem, your immorality problem, your greed problem, whatever it might be, your double person problem, you're here one day on Sunday, but you're a whole other person when you show up at work. Whatever your problem might be, you need to quit excusing it away as if, well, we just all have problems. And you need to know that the grace of God has the power to change you. 
And I encourage you this morning to get real before God, fall on your face before God and say, God, it's time for me to trust in your grace. And I'm asking for your grace to change me. I acknowledge where I'm wrong. I acknowledge my sins. I acknowledge I've been making excuses for my sinful behavior. And it stops today. For those of you that find yourself like me, from time to time being fearful, we're not going to finish this thing strong. How, how many years can I do it? What if I live another 20? What if I've got to stay this course for another 30 years? Can I do this another 30 years without ever really falling and ruining things? That's a scary thought. You need to trust that he who began the good work, he's going to finish it. And as we learned last week, when you fall, what do we trust in? God's mercy. I'm really excited for what's going to come in the weeks to come. I'm going to go and ask our, our worship team to get in place. I'm excited for what's going to come in the weeks to come as I take all of this and start to weave it together in our conclusion. I want to finish today with a passage of Scripture out of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What shall we say then to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not in Him also freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, brothers and sisters, the grace of God is what we need to throw our trust in from start to finish.